What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Greetings and salutations. I am E. Spencer Kite, and this is one question for every fight for you. FC 290 International Fight Week is here. I am pumped up. This fight card is one I have been looking forward to for a number of months. As it's continued to come together, and despite some changes this week, which we will certainly touch on, this is the best fight card of the year. The main event and co-main event are fascinating. The featured bout on the main card between Robert Whitaker and Drickus Duplessis is amazing. Jalen Turner versus Dan Hooker, terrific. A bunch of phenomenal fights on this fight card. I am pumped up to talk about it. Before we do, I will draw your attention if you are watching on the YouTube to the QR code up in the corner. If you are just listening, I will direct you to spencerkite.substack.com where you will find the Keyboard Kamar newsletter where this podcast, the audio version of everything I put out all the written material that I put together through the week will be there for your enjoyment. You can subscribe for free for five bucks a month for 50 bucks a year. However you subscribe, I greatly appreciate it. If you do decide to send me a little bit of cash, that is terrific. It is well, well appreciated, much needed. It allows me to make some upgrades around here, pay for some of this stuff that I, that I need to pay for in order to get these things and, and do these things and put this stuff out here the way it is. But if you just sub subscribe for free and want to come and get the content, that is great as well. I want to inform and educate and stimulate conversations and ideas and introduce you to athletes. So as long as you're coming around, we're happy to have you. I will also direct you to One Bone, my guys from Montreal, onebonebrand.com, onebonebrand on Twitter and Instagram. They are the best. I say it every time. I'm wearing them. Every time you see me on this screen, I've got at least one piece of one bone on. The shirt is always going to be one bone. There will often be a one bone hat. I am often wearing some kind of one bone pants or shorts. It is the best. It is the best. It is the most comfortable, most wearable, most enjoyable clothing I have found for myself in my adult life. And I'm somebody that values fashion, that values feeling good, looking good. And this stuff makes me feel good. And I think makes me look good. If you do happen to check out the boys and there's stuff that you want to purchase, and I recommend you do use the promo code ESK20 at checkout. My initials ESK and the number 20 to get yourself 20% off. That lets them know that you found out about them through me. And I want them to see that I am promoting this brand. I want them to know that we are sending traffic and business to them. And it's not just about driving business for them. It's about bringing people to this community because it truly is a community. If you follow them on Instagram, you will see what this community is, is like. They're all about shouting out the people that rep the brand, that look good in their gear. It's all about uplifting people. I cannot recommend them highly enough. One Bone Brand, congratulations to Sam on the new arrival. Best of luck with baby number two. Hope you get some sleep, my guy. Thank you for everything. Last but not least, before we get into it, at Spencer Kite, Twitter and Instagram. Everything I do, I put up on both of those platforms. I try to do some reels of some of the video content that goes out. But at the absolute least, we are going with a post to let you know what is new. We are going in the story to give you a link to it. Follow me, engage with me, leave comments, whatever you want to do. I appreciate it much like the Substack. As long as you're coming around, as long as you're consuming the content, it is greatly appreciated.
with all of that said and all of that now out of the way, let us get to one question for every fight. UFC 290 edition, starting in the main event, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez, the undisputed champion, which is really not what he is because it's in dispute this weekend. There is an interim champion facing him this weekend. My question for it is, what does this fight look like? And I ask that because for me, there's myriad ways I can see this playing out. I do not by any means want to discount Yair Rodriguez, his ability to win this fight, his dynamic skills, his talents, the creativity that he brings to this fight. That is a wrinkle that kind of runs as a ribbon throughout this fight. And as much as we want to say, and we want to think about stuff like the win over Chan Sung Jung as last minute, creative, hard to manufacture those types of moments. The fact that Yair Rodriguez was able to do that, to hit that up elbow at that time, in that moment, to think creatively in that way, makes him an ever-present threat, makes him dangerous as long as this fight is going. Now, there are ways to neutralize that danger. There are ways to minimize that risk. And Alexander Volkanovsky, who, for my opinion, is one of the smartest fighters in the sport, one of the most technical, tactical, IQ-based, adjustment-based, game plan-based fighters in the sport, I think he can certainly map out some ways to do it. But I think there's just different ways that I can see this going. I can see either guy winning this early and decisively and, and impressively. I can see Yair Rodriguez landing something funky. I can see Alexander Volkanovsky going out and just putting a beat down on Yair Rodriguez, similar to the Frankie Edgar fight many moons ago in Dallas at UFC 211. I can also see this being a fight that sort of builds slowly where the first couple rounds are maybe even competitive and Volkanovsky starts pulling away because I think over the course of time, he's able to wear down Yair more than Yair is able to wear down Volk. I can see this being, as I said, sort of that, that fight similar to Chan Sung Jung for Yair where it's just not going his way and he does something creative that turns it on its head late. Now, I don't think necessarily that Volk is a guy that is going to get himself in those spots where he can get caught but anybody can get caught. And I'm just fascinated to see how this one plays out because I think for a lot of us that look at Volk and think of him as, and recognize him, I should say, as one of the top pound for pound fighters in this sport, I think there's a tendency to maybe underrate Yair Rodriguez a little bit. And I know that sounds crazy to some people. I saw a tweet from the MMA On Point guys yesterday where one of their contributors essentially said like to, to say Yair Rodriguez is on a good run of form feels a little disingenuous because it's the win over Josh Emmett. It's a injury win over Brian Ortega. And then it's a loss to Max Holloway. So is that really a good run of form? The win before that is Jeremy Stevens in 2019 and my pushback on it. Cause, cause the on point account tweeted out essentially just like, what are your thoughts? And I said, like, we need to contextualize these things. The win over Josh Emmett was dominant. That was as good as Yair Rodriguez has looked. It was as 
decisively as anybody had beaten Josh Emmett up to and through that point. The win over Brian Ortega, you cannot hold against Yair Rodriguez. You can't fault him. I would argue that there's elements of that fight, even though it only goes four minutes and some change, where Yair looks good. And then the fight with Max, yes, he lost. Everyone at featherweight outside of Alexander Volkanovsky seems to lose to Max Holloway, and Yair had some good moments in that. And so I call that a good run of form. I think he is the most mature, the most focused, the most composed he has been in his career. That win over Emmett was the best he has looked. And he is going into Saturday, I would say, and having spoken to him this week, he would say, in the best mindset and position he's been in in his career. And so to me, this fight is going to be outstanding. And I'm super curious to see how it plays out in terms of both style and result. I cannot wait for this fight. This is going to be amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. Coming event, Brandon Moreno, Alexandre Pantoja. My question is how much is the past in Brandon Moreno's head? It's been five years since these two men met for the second time. The first time was on the Ultimate Fighter. And so if you want to push that one aside and say it doesn't really count because it's a different dynamic and it was many moons ago. Second time I've said that, which is interesting. It was a while ago. Pantoja got the win. He was way more experienced. Brandon Moreno was just a kid, just really, truly an assassin baby. Uh, and then they came into the UFC. They each had some success. They met a little later and Pantoja went out and dominated. But again, it was five years ago. Brandon Moreno has clearly improved since then. Pantoja was always dangerous. That point, still da dangerous then, contender then, dangerous now, contender now. But the thing that is always difficult, and we've talked about this a bunch this year, whether it's Israel Adesanya, whether it's Kamaru Usman getting head kicked by Leon Edwards and facing him a second time, it's a thing that is run through even Moreno with Figueredo in the past. How does that linger? And I actually do think that the experience of facing Davison Figueredo four times in the span of five fights helps Brandon Moreno here. He's gone through this. He's dealt with guys that have beaten him in the past. And while it hasn't always been successful, he's been in there and experienced it. And he's got to have some confidence in his ability of what he's done as of late. Because he's the guy that has been more active, more successful. And that's partially because Pantoja has been hurt. And don't get me wrong, he looked phenomenal. Last summer against Alex Perez, racing across the cage, getting him out of there in 91 seconds. But I wonder if in those moments, if there are moments where Pantoja gets ahead of him a little bit, starts having some success, gets on his back, lands something crispy, that Moreno starts getting that little bit of doubt. If that voice starts creeping in just a little bit, how that will impact things. Personally, I think Moreno has grown to the point where he is significantly better and so much further ahead of the guy he was five years ago when he lost to Pantoja for the second time and got released by the UFC. I think we've seen that, especially in these last couple fights, the interim title win over Kai Kara France last summer, same fight card as Pantoja's win. And then again, earlier this year, 
against Davison Figueredo. I think he has settled into everything is okay. I'm super skilled, super talented, well-experienced. I can handle just about anything, but I want to see it as always. I still want to see it. There's still a little test element to it that I want to see. Feature fight on the pre on the main card, excuse me, Robert Whitaker versus Drickus Duplessis. My question is, will Duplessis pass this test? The whole way along, I have doubted Drickus Duplessis. The whole way along, the South African has proved me wrong. Continued to win fights, continued to post victories. He feels like a guy right now for me that is in a weird position because one of the things coming in that sort of bolstered his standing, that bolstered his stock was the two fight series with Roberto Saldic where he knocked out Robocop and then lost the rematch. Well, Roberto Saldic has struggled since going to one championship and it's kind of pulled away at Drickus Duplessis' aura and, and, and shine a little bit. Even though he has gone 5-0 in the UFC, the guys he's beaten, and this is going to sound... This is going to sound revisionist, but but trust me, it's not. Brad Tavares is a great fighter, a great veteran presence. That is a good win. Darren Till, I'm not sure about. He hasn't been the same in a number of years. I think he is, quite frankly, a mess internally. And that translates over to his abilities in the octagon. I think he is a better fighter than he showed in that fight. I hope one day we get to see that again from Darren Till but we haven't as of right now. And then Derek Brunson, who, as Harry and I talked about after that fight, he's got five minutes. And if you if he can't get you out of there in five minutes, he's a sitting duck. And that was a fight where Derek Brunson's corner threw in the tower. Derek Brunson's corner knew our guy's done. And Duplessis was swarming him and beating him and all of those things. Full marks to him for getting the job done, handling his business. But now he's getting in there with Bobby Knuckles, Robert J. Knuckles Esquire. And this is, I mean, this is the one, right? This is for me, you win this one. I will give you all the apologies for doubting you up to and through this point. Because the only guy at middleweight that has beaten Whitaker in the last six years, seven years, is Israel Adesanya. And it was closer last time out. This is... The clear cut right now because Alex Pahea has gone to light heavyweight, silver medalist in the division. And if you beat this dude, you punch your ticket to a title shot. And good Lord, I have to apologize and we have to really start taking this dude seriously. I know that sounds weird about a guy that's 5-0 and in the UFC with four finishes. But if he goes out and makes it 6-0 and and he beats Bobby Knuckles, then we've, we've got to just give it to him. We cannot continue to doubt him. This isn't one of those things of, yeah, but who did he beat? He will have beaten Robert Whitaker, who is a former champion and the number two in the division. I love this fight because it is this test. There is no, there's no better way to find out what somebody is made of and how good they are than to put them in there with someone like Whitaker. I commend Whitaker for taking these fights, for always being willing to take these fights. He's done this time and again. He fought Darren Till. He fought Jared Cannonier. He fought Calvin Gastelum since losing the title. And in between the two fights with Izzy, he has done everything that has been asked of him. He fought Marvin Vittori. 
And now he's fighting Drickus Duplessis. He was supposed to fight Paulo Costa. Maybe, maybe not. Bobby Knuckles gets full marks. And we're going to find out what kind of marks Duplessis gets on Saturday. Lightweight fight. Jalen Turner, Dan Hooker. Originally supposed to take place back in March. Taking place now as Hooker is healthy and ready to return. My question is, can Jalen Turner take another step forward? He lost that fight in March. Matoish Gamrot jumped in for Hooker. Earned a split decision win. It was a really competitive fight. I think it's one of those fights that if you go back and look at it a second time, if you go back and watch it again, you see that it's a much more competitive, much closer fight than I think some people envisioned and necessarily understood as it happened live at UFC 285. Turner is a fascinating prospect to me. All the length, all the height in the world for this division. It makes him super dangerous. As Harry has pointed out in the past, He's learning to use and utilize that length and that reach really well. He's starting to understand it. He's a 27, 28 year old that has a bunch of experience and is now building that top end experience. And so to me, this is where we see a little bit of has he topped out for right now? Is this where he sits and resides for the next couple of years as he just refines things. So for me, my assessment, and this is built from years of talking to fighters, years of watching fights, getting into these men and women's heads about their evolution, their improvements, their progression as athletes. I think a lot of athletes reach a certain point where the skills are what they are. The talents are what they are. We know them. They're clear. They're established. And then there's usually a couple years where it's all about, are you able to make those small little adjustments, those little pieces. Can you recalibrate a couple things, a tweak here, a twist there, a, an addition here, a deletion there that take things to the next level? Jalen Turner, the raw materials, the blueprint, the foundation is all great. The results have been there as well. Outside of, you know, the stumble against Matt Frivola, I can't fault him for losing to Gamrot, who is a legit top 10 fighter. It's been great. The Brad Riddell win was a phenomenal win. And I'm sure Dan Hooker goes into this one a little bit, wanting to get one back for his boy. And I just want to see if Jalen Turner has started making those little tweaks and those little adjustments already at this point and skips the two-year waiting period, skips the three-year waiting period where he goes 500 or, you know, four and two over his next six, but they're good wins and he really solidifies himself in that lower half of the lightweight division. I know that Dan Hooker isn't ranked at the moment, but we all know the caliber of Dan Hooker. We all know what he brings to the table, who he is. If we just stripped away what is in place right now as the rankings and said, lay out the division, I think Dan Hooker probably lands in the top 15. The departure for a little bit, and then the fight against Claudio Poyas sort of changes the way people look at it a little bit. But this is an interesting one because Jalen Turner feels like somebody that has room to grow and presents could, could potentially present a lot of danger in the future. And I want to see how this plays out, what this looks like, what he looks like against an experienced, established, dangerous guy like Dan Hooker. Middleweight fight to open the main card, Bone Nickel versus Val Woodburn. My question is how dominant does this need to be for Nickel? First and foremost, let's let's be clear. 
Bo Nickel needs to win this fight or all hell's going to break loose, right? You get stuck in there with a short notice replacement, even a guy like Woodburn who gets props from guys like Chris Curtis, who has trained with him in the past, who is seven and one, I believe fought some, some decent competition on the regional circuit. Looks like he's built like a fire hydrant, absolute tank of a human being, but Bo Nickel needs to, needs to win this fight or else shit goes crazy. But my question is of, of how dominant does it need to be is because I think there is this desire with nickel, but also just in general, really hyped prospects, really hyped emerging talents that we are overly analytical about these things. We're overly aggressive in terms of how we rate and grade and judge these performances. And when you throw a short notice replacement in there, against a guy that is hyped to the gills, you want to see that prospect. You want to see that established buzzy name go out and dominate. I think it's difficult. I think it is one of the most difficult things we encounter in this sport, and we don't talk about it enough, is for a guy like Nickel to go out and dominate in this spot because there is nothing for him to win here. This is a zero upside fight for Bo Nickel. This is continue to gain experience, get your paycheck and move it forward. But like no one's giving him props for beating Val Woodburn. Even if he goes out and dominates, it's what's expected of him. And so I'll be really curious to see how this plays out and what the reaction to it is on Saturday night, on Sunday, on Monday, as we move forward from it. And it's one of those things that it will, or it should, in my opinion, continue to evolve as we see more of Woodburn, as we see more of Nickel, as we get a better sense of who these men are and where they truly fit in this division and their upside and all of those things. But Saturday night is going to be really important for Bo Nickel. And it's unfortunate that it's expected to be a really dominant performance, that it is expected to be similar to the fight against Jamie Pickett. Go out, get this guy on the canvas in under a minute, work to choke him out, finish him, and we go home. It's it's just going to be, it's fascinating. I know I've been saying throughout, I'm really curious to see how these fights play out, but this is the stuff that fascinates me. I think Bo Nickel is a very good prospect. I think he has tremendous upside. If he can continue adding on to the striking game, if he can get it to a point where it it doesn't have to be great, To me, it's always the Damian Maya kind of comp, kind of leveling. Just needs to get to a point where you have to respect it. You have to be cognizant of it and you can't say, I don't have to worry about it at all. You have to respect it. And if he can get there, he's got a world of upside because the wrestling and submission game looks terrific. We know the wrestling is terrific. The submission game is continuing to improve. He's working with a great team at ATT. He will continue to grow in that realm. So if he can get the striking, up to that Maya level where Maya's hands were pretty good. He had a good left hand, good southpaw, knew what to do, could go out there and box, fell in love with it a little bit. If he can get there, he can be great. But Saturday is going to be really telling. And I hope that people don't judge him too harshly if this isn't as decisive as they think it should be. This is a nasty assignment. This is this is brutal. Right, We talk about it as all upside, and I'll talk about a little bit more of this 
in a couple of fights when we get to Jack Della Maddalena. But this is all upside for Woodburn. Nothing to lose. Can come out here and just leave it all out there. Go balls to the wall. You lose. Doesn't matter. You were supposed to. And your foot's in the door. This is all risk for Bo Nickel. We want to see how he does. It's one question for every fight on keyboard. Kimura, I am e. Spencer Kite. We are talking about UFC 290. We move to the prelims which close out with Robbie Lawler and Nico Price in the welterweight division. And my question is, could Robbie Lawler exit in any more of a Robbie Lawler way? So Robbie Lawler has announced that this will be his final fight, that he is stepping away after 21 years or 22 years as a professional fighter. He is doing so a few days after his fight with Rory McDonald at UFC 189 gets brought into or, or inducted, I should say into the UFC Hall of Fame. Phenomenal fight. One of those moments that I will never forget being there live and in person. And this feels like, I know when it was announced and Nico Price was announced as the opponent, there was a little bit of like, really, this is what they're doing. This is who it is. It's not even on the main card. How are you doing Robbie like that? This is so Robbie Lawler to me that it just, it makes me smile. It, it makes me smile. It makes me laugh because if you know Robbie Lawler at all, just from having watched his career, having watched the way he carries himself in the media, the way he deals with media, the things he does on social media, which are very few, he doesn't want the fanfare. He doesn't want the big send-off and the big deal, and he doesn't want layups either. He wants to be in there with a guy that he's going to have to fight, and Nico Price is somebody that he's going to have to fight. And I think Robbie Lawler would much rather be like being the final fight on the prelims affords the UFC the opportunity, win or lose, to give Robbie Lawler a moment. That will be something that happens, timing provided, on the broadcast on Saturday. Hopefully we get some time where we're not running up against the seven o'clock start of the the pay-per-view and Robbie Lawler, win or lose, gets a moment but he'll kind of hate that a little bit. He'll kind of not really like that a little bit. He'll say, thank you. He will be very short with it and he will move on. And this to me is quintessential Robbie Lawler. I have enjoyed watching this man fight. I've enjoyed getting to speak to him throughout his career. I think his run to the welterweight title was one of the coolest things, was one of the best comeback stories in the last 15 years of this sport, 20 years of this sport. So maybe all time in this sport. It's just great. And I, I thank him for everything that he's done. I thank him for all the enjoyable fights. I can't wait to see this one either. It's been great watching Robbie Lawler. It'll be great watching him compete one last time, but this is very much to me, a Robbie Lawler esque moment. You stick around at welterweight Jack Della Maddalena takes on Josiah Harrell. And my question here is, were there really no welterweights or middleweights that wanted to step up now to be clear? short notice. Della's really good. The UFC may have said no. Della may have said no to a couple guys, right? But this is a spot where someone could get some shine. This is a spot where you could step up. There's no risk. There's no, there's risk, but there's no like, oh, if you lose this one, something negative is going to happen to you. Like this is a spot where you can show up and face a guy that is on a tremendous role. That was the breakout fighter of the year last year. 
in my opinion, newcomer of the year on UFC.com. Continued to look good with a win at home in Perth over Randy Brown earlier this year. He has said we could do it at 170. We could do it at 85. I just want to continue to compete. I'm here. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Joaquin Buckley said he would face him, but wanted to get it in September. And Della was like, nah, if, if you're not ready, if you don't want to do welterweight, let's do middleweight. You used to face it, fight at middleweight. And Buckley still pushed back. That makes me wonder how prepared and what kind of shape Buck is in. And he's a big dude. Don't get me wrong. He's a big dude. I know he cuts to make 170, but, but 85 was there. And if 85 wasn't going to be an option, even on a week, makes me a little nervous. But this to me is a spot where like, if you're chaos Williams or you're Brian battle, why are you not trying to step up? Cause Della doesn't strike me as a guy that is going to say, no, no, not him. Right. Faced Pete Rodriguez in his debut was just like, yeah, whoever give me a body. I want to compete. If you're AJ Fletcher coming off your first win, that wasn't great. You're one and two in the UFC. How come you're not raising your hand and saying, yeah, I'll get in there with this guy. Buy yourself a little goodwill, buy yourself a little extra leg room in terms of going forward on your contract, your wins, your losses, et cetera, et cetera. Your, your longevity potential on the roster. If you're Trey Waters coming off a good win over Josh Quinlan in your debut on short notice, why aren't you jumping at this opportunity? Whether it's welterweight or middleweight, just face a ranked guy. Show where you belong. We're not looking at this. I don't think anybody would look at this and look at whoever gets in there and loses to Della or faces Della and happens to lose and go, ah, they don't, they shouldn't be. No, nah, that we know that's a top 15 guy. We're not going to be harsh. Most people aren't going to be super harsh, super critical. You're going to get a round of applause for taking the fight. And if you give a good accounting of yourself, your stock goes up. I just can't believe that there's not a welterweight or a middleweight currently on the roster ready to go or close to ready to go as of late last week that could have taken this fight. And that's nothing against Josiah Harrell, who's seven and oh undefeated prospect trains a little bit with Matt Brown, the immortal gets a shot here and more power to him. All the best to him taking this fight. He is doing the thing that I think one of these UFC welterweights or middleweights should have done raised his hand. Let's go. He's probably marching to the first loss of his career, but it doesn't matter because his stock goes up. Everything elevates because this dude stepped up on seven days notice to face a top 15 fighter in a big spot on a big fight card with limited prep time, very little to no prep time. I can't believe that there wasn't somebody else on the roster that was ready to do this. We'll come back around to that one though, a little bit later. Move to the strawweight division, Yasmin Haragwi against Denise Gomes. And my question is, why are we doing this fight at this time? Please do not get me wrong. I'm looking forward to this fight. I think it will be competitive, action-packed, really fun fight on the prelims. Haragwi is 24, 10-0, 2-0 in the UFC. Denise Gomes is 23, 7-2 overall, 1-1 in the UFC. Both coming off TKO victories. Both have legitimate upside in a division that needs young fighters, that needs emerging talents. Why not keep them moving on parallel tracks? 
why not move them forward at the same time and do this one two, three, four fights down the road? A win doesn't do a ton for either of them here because they're both relatively young, two fights in to their UFC career. It's certainly another victory, certainly another chance to look good and have success on a big fight card, all of those things. But why not find a veteran for each of them? Why not find somebody that they could face that kind of boosts their stock and elevates them a little more? To me, Jillian Robertson, who fought a couple of weeks ago against Tabitha Ricci, was a perfect opponent for Yasmin Haragbi, who is, as I said, 10-0, jiu-jitsu stylist, got some hands, lots of upside, another one of these fighters from Mexico, part of this wave right now that is crescendoing and, and moving forward. Lucindo, to me, sorry, not Lucindo, Denise Gomes would have been a great opponent. Sam Hughes, get her in there. That's a good test. A cardio machine. Somebody from a great camp has some UFC experience. Tough to get out of there. Durable. All of those things. Better test. We know who Sam Hughes is and what a win over her means. Same with Robertson for Haragui if that came together. I started to mention and, and had the slip of Lucindo. Yasmin Lucindo, who fought Yasmin Haragui in their joint debuts, is facing Pollyanna Viana next. And to me, that's perfect. Lucindo's coming off a very good win. She looked very good, super young, one and one in the UFC. And she gets the veteran next time out. She gets the fighter that herself is coming off a good win, knockout last fall against Jin Hu Frey. But it's somebody that is just in that lower half of the division, but has been in the UFC and we know what beating her means. It's not a huge win, but it's a win that elevates her forward where whoever wins this one, as much as I think highly of each of these women, there's a lot of people that just look at it and go, yeah, they're two fights in. It doesn't matter. They're 24 and 23 respectively. It's not a big deal. And I just would have rather have seen and, and would like to see more often fighters like this moving forward together against some of the veterans, some of the more established names in a division, rather than saddling one of them with a defeat at this early stage. Yes, there's room to rebuild and grow and get better from it. But we also have a lot of people that just look at results and just look at records. And if we keep creating fighters that are two and one, and one and two, and three and two, and four and three, and all of that where there's not this build and buzz, then you kind of lose some momentum and you lose that opportunity. The fighters that generate so much interest with a lot of the more casual fans that are just going to jump in to fight cards like this when we say, hey, this is important, are looking at those results and look at unbeaten fighters and fighters on lengthy winning streaks. And if we continue to find ways to not allow that to happen for young talents and booking them. Like I think Denise Gomes is really good. Trains with a good team. Paraná Valetudo, PBT team that is in Las Vegas. Carol Hosa, Jessica Andraj, that group, good group. She's got upside. This is a tough fight for her. Same with Haragui. I think Haragui wins. Spoiler for the punch drunk predictions later on in the week. I think Haragui wins. And then Denise Gomes is one and two where that big victory last time out against Bruno Brazil kind of just falls by the wayside. I don't want to see that. I don't need that for her at this point. Sure. There's time to rebuild, but she's at one and two in the UFC. 
give her an opportunity that if she's going to lose, it's against somebody that's a better test and it doesn't stifle a prospect to move another prospect ahead. That's my thought. I'm not the matchmaker. I'm not in charge of the book. I'd like to be, I'd like to be brought in for insights, but that doesn't seem to happen. We move to light heavyweight, Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Menafield. And my question is, did we really need to run this one back? I say that with no disrespect to these men. Again, this is going to be a fun slobber knockery kind of fight. It could go five seconds. It could go 15 minutes. Any way it plays out, it is probably going to be big swings, big action, fun to watch. But here's why I ask that question. Crude is 0-2-1 in his last three. His last win came in October 2020 against Modestus Bukaskis. There was a knee injury in there that sidelined him, but he's winless in his last three. Menafield is 4-1-1 in his last six. He had two knockout wins before the draw earlier this year. They fought. It was a draw. Let's just move on. Like, this is another one of those ones that there's nothing that comes out of this result. Like, Jimmy Crute winning doesn't really do much. He still moves to 1-2-1 and one in his last four. And great, he beat Alonzo Benefield. He's the ranked fighter. He's theoretically supposed to beat Alonzo Benefield. If Menafield wins, okay. Does your opinion of him really change all that much because he beat Jim Crute, who's now 0-3-1 in his last four fights? Not really. Not, not for me. I have opinions about these guys. I think Crute has some upside. I think Zoe has done the best to maximize what he has and get to the best spot he was going to get to. I think he was always going to be this fighter. So the fact that he is 4-1-1 in his last six is a positive result for him. But like this feels like a situation where you could have given Jimmy Crute a slight step back and give Zoe a slight step forward and see what happens. If you want to run it back somewhere down the line when it makes a little more sense and it feels like there's a little more utility to it, fine. It's going to be fun. I'm going to I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be entertaining. I just don't know that we needed to do it. Like just because it was a draw. We don't need to run back every draw just because there wasn't a winner and a loser. Sometimes that's got to be okay and we just move them forward. I know they wanted to do it again. I know both guys said afterwards, hey, let's do this again to settle it. Sometimes you need to just set them aside and be like, boys, we don't need to do it again. It's fine. Here are your different opponents. I would have gone that direction. But again, I'm not making the fights for the UFC yet. I'm never going to, but you know, still. Move to a catchweight bout at 130 pounds between Tatsuro Tyra and Edgar Charez. And my question is, can we just give Tyra a step up in competition already? Now I understand that this is a short notice replacement. He was supposed to fight last weekend against Clinton Rodriguez, who came in three pounds overweight. Fight was scrapped. KR's second straight fight, missing weight. So that got scrapped. Tyra gets a fight here against Shiraz who competed last season on Contender Series, uh, looking good early, but fading down the stretch to lose a decision to Clayton Carpenter, who has thus far undefeated, continued to be undefeated through his UFC debut. He has subsequently gone out and earned consecutive submission wins on the regional circuit, including that one from Fury FC a few months ago, where the referee didn't recognize, didn't acknowledge the 
fighter going out and the arm bar and that whole thing. He is that dude. He is the dude inflicting that unfortunate punishment. I think Tyra wins this going away. I think the world of him, he's 23, he's undefeated. You know where I stand on the young man. And it just feels to me that this is one of those spots where just give him the test. Just move him forward. We saw it last week and it didn't work out for Abbas Magomedov, who obviously significantly older than Tyra, more experienced than Tyra. But let's just do it. What's what's the harm here? He's shown us positives all the way to this point. 3-0 in the UFC, consecutive finishes, done it quicker each of the last two fights. Second round submission win over CJ Vergara. First round submission win over Jesus Aguilar. Excuse me. Let's just give him the step up. KR was a little bit of a step up. Rodriguez was a little bit of a step up. But like, let's just get him in there with a top 15 guy. What are we waiting for? What's what's the harm? If he goes out and loses to a Tim Elliott, it's a big win for Tim Elliott that continues to move him forward and push him forward off his last win. And if he beats him, then we know where the floor is reset to. We know the new baseline. I understand and I'm, I'm all for bringing people along slowly to a certain extent, but this is a guy that I would much rather see him tested now and get a little bit better of a sense than have him make that slow climb up the flyweight rankings. There's not that many fighters in the flyweight division. He's not that far away from already breaking into the top 15 because you get to a certain point, you get to four and oh, you get to five and oh, look at Muhammad Makayev, right? Hasn't faced a ranked opponent yet, but he's just put up results and gotten ranked. Part of that is name. Part of that is that he's finished a few fights, but this is where Tyra is. So get him in there with one of these ranked guys. Give him a step up in competition next time out. Please, I am begging you. Let us see it. Shouts Edgar Shires for, for jumping in here. Happy to see him back on the card. Happy to see him compete. Don't I'm going to get messages on Saturday morning that say happy Tatsuro Tyra fight day from Harry, as opposed to getting, I'm still bummed that Tatsuro Tyra isn't competing messages from Harry. I like the former much more than the latter. Give him that step up in competition. When he wins here, if he wins here, when he wins here, give him that step up in competition. Light heavyweight division, Vitor Petrino versus Marcin Praccino. And my question is, will Petrino show more here? Contender series grad, 8-0, 25 years old, looked okay in his debut win over Anton Turkai, the pleasure man. It was one of those fights where he had good moments and he also had not good moments. He is from the CM Systems, Cristiano Marcelo, who was a former shooter box guy, who was a former Ultimate Fighter contestant, great dude, good coach. He looks the part, Petrino, excuse me, looks the part, right? 25, big and muscly, shaved head, good looking kid, unbeaten record, looks like somebody that you could push forward. Looks like someone that you can bring along and sort of build some hype around. But it wasn't great last time against a guy that hasn't shown a whole lot at this level. And so now he gets Pracnio, who isn't anything special, is a good journeyman veteran fighter, but he's three and one in his last four fights. And he does the things that he needs to do to win fights, right? The win over Khalil Roundtree was a, I'm just going to do more than you. I'm just going to throw more volume. The win over William Knight last time out. Yeah. Thick Willie didn't do anything, 
But Pracnio went out there and just chopped at those legs and said, fine, here, have a steady diet of leg kicks. I'm going to get my hand raised. You can get released. We're good. He's the kind of guy that if Petrino is going to be anything, if he's going to be someone that you do build around, we need to see it on Saturday. And I want to see if he can do it because he looks the part and he's unbeaten and he's going to get these shots because he is a contender series grad. So here you go. Can you beat the respectable veteran that's on a nice little run over his last four and show me something, give me a reason to really get behind you as an undefeated fighter in a division where opportunities abound. Move to bantamweight Cameron Simon versus Terrence Mitchell. My question is, can Simon have a clean fight? I am not someone that will call an athlete, a dirty fighter. I don't think that anyone goes into these fights and commits fouls maliciously. I don't think anybody is going out there and being like, you know what I'm going to do as much as we joke about it, right? As much as we joke about the first one's always free and get away with as much as it can. And if you're not cheating, you're not trying and all of those things and the art of Dundasso shout out to Chad Dundas. I don't think anybody goes out there and is like, I want to kick my opponent south of the border a couple of times just to see what the referee is going to do. I want to grab the fence. I want to eye poke. I don't think any of that is intentional. Unfortunately for Cameron Simon, in each of his first two fights in the UFC, he has had a point deducted. There have been a number of fouls. And I want to see if he can clean it up. Because outside of those incidences, excuse me, he's looked really good. He's He's a young, poised, composed fighter with a ton of upside to me. And the thing that's right now looming over and lingering over those two wins, which are good wins, where he showed that poise, like debut, gets a short notice replacement and Stephen Kozlo loses the first round, has the point deduction for an illegal knee, and then goes out and finishes in the third because he understands, I got to get this done. And he's able to, which was similar to his contender series win. Lost the first round and then came out and put it on Joshua Wong Kim. The fight against Mana Martinez, his last fight out, it's a majority decision win. But again, went out there, tightened things up, cleaned things up, did what he needed to do to get a victory. Those things mean something to me, especially from 22-year-old, 23-year-old fighters like Simon. Terrence Mitchell is a tough alum. He was on season 24 with the flyweight champions from around the different promotions, battling for an opportunity to face Demetrius Johnson, which was ultimately won by Tim Elliott. He got bounced in the opening round by Kai Kara France. He has continued to earn victories since then, but he's a 33-year-old that hasn't been fighting very good competition. He's stepping in on short notice for Christian Rodriguez. Good Lord, would that have been a fight? I'd have been going crazy about had that fight stayed together. I hope C-Rod gets healthy. I hope we get that fight somewhere down the line, even though I just talked about not booking young prospects against each other. Way down the line, I want to see them compete. But this feels like an opportunity for Cameron Simon to go out and show his class. Show that he's ready for a step up. But he's got to keep it clean. There can't be any fouls. Because I tell you what, if there's a whether there's a point deduction or not, if there is a foul in this fight, he is going to have to answer questions when he goes back to media about the fouls. And that's not what you want if you're a young emerging fighter with a world of upside. So I just want to see if he can get through one 
without a nut shot, without an eye poke, without an illegal knee. Just a clean, clean sheet here on Saturday for Cameron Simon. Move back to flyweight Shannon Ross versus Jesus Aguiar. And my question is, will the vanquished fighter stick around going forward? So we're clear, as always, this is not an attempt by me to send one of these guys packing. I have nothing against them. This isn't personal. This isn't, I don't want to see them here or anything like that. Comes from a roster building sort of philosophy. Comes from a roster building point of view. The loser of this one is going to be 0-2 in the UFC. They both came off contender series. Ross is 34. He actually lost on the contender series to Vinicius Salvador. Got a contract after, afterwards when it was discovered and determined that he competed with appendicitis. He lost his fight, went to the hospital, had his appendix removed, and they were like, okay, you're bonkers. You fought with a ridiculous temperature and appendicitis. Here you go. He then lost his debut to the aforementioned Clayton Rodriguez, 59 seconds at UFC 284 in Perth. Aguiar is a undersized submission specialist at flyweight. He's five foot four, muscly guy, goes for guillotines. That's his thing. Lost to Tyra last time out because he dove on a guillotine. It wasn't going to be there. It ended up not being there and he got submitted. Owen to at this point against this level of competition for me tells me everything I need to know, especially, and this is not a particular slight on him, but especially for a 34 year old fighter like Shannon Ross. If you go Owen to and the losses are KR and Jesus Aguiar, I've seen all I need to see. I now know that you can't compete at this level. Are there going to be guys that you could beat? Probably. But do I need to see you stick around and get those wins? It's kind of the Chase Sherman thing, right? We've seen enough. The evidence is in. We've got the data. Let's just move on at this point. It's Ashley Yoder. So many other fighters in the UFC. And if anybody wants to go and do the like, what about Angela Hill? Angela Hill's been in there with good competition and beaten a bunch of good competition. So fuck right off with trying to throw Angie Hill into that because she's got a losing record in the UFC. But the other piece of this for me is that fewer of these guys sticking around, fewer of these contender series graduates or these fighters that are 0-2 and 1-3 getting that next opportunity because they haven't lost three straight or four straight or whatever the new metric is, whatever the new number is. It used to be three straight. It's not anymore. Means, in theory opportunities for others. If you call a little bit of the roster, it puts a little bit of more urgency on some of these fighters being more active, getting more opportunities, competing more regularly, puts a little more pressure on the matchmakers to get more of these athletes that are under contract, that are owed fights and, and required to compete to get those fights. And it gives you a chance to sign better fighters. We've got another season of contender series coming up. There's going to be another 10 weeks of five fights. So a potential 50 people that are going to be signed. And if it's anything like the last couple seasons, somewhere between 40 and 45 of those athletes are probably going to get signed, which again, whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. We will certainly do it when we get closer to contender series. I promise you that it will be a keyboard Kimura podcast at some point. I will update my spreadsheet of Dana White contender series records and we will go through the data and talk about it. But like, we just need to figure this out and move on from these people. Not because I don't want to see people compete at this level. I want everybody to make as much money as possible 
pursuing their career, pursuing their dreams, their passions, their career choices as someone who is doing that. But we also have to admit and cut bait when we, when we have the evidence, when the data is there and it's clear that these people aren't, aren't able and aren't long-term going to be able to compete at this level. You certainly need fighters in those lower tiers. You certainly need veterans and names to face newcomers and people coming in and things like that. We need those people. There is utility to them. There is value to them, but they show themselves and they create themselves all the time. We don't need to keep giving athletes that struggle out of the gate, multiple looks, let them move on. If they're good enough and capable enough to get back, they will. And if not, it was great. All the best to you going forward. Brings us to the opening bout of the night. Kamuela Kirk against Esteban Rebovich. And my question is, how does Kirk look at lightweight? So he is a long-term featherweight, entire career before now at featherweight, 29 years old, 11 and five overall. Win in the UFC against Makwan Armarkani. Lost last time out against Damon Jackson. Good regional guy for a couple of years. He's some of the, that I remember from back in his early 20s on the regional scene. He fought good competition. The last couple losses are to Bruno Souza and Billy Quarantillo, who he lost to on Contender Series. Both those guys in the UFC. Billy Q, obviously a fan favorite, always in these interesting, entertaining, fun fights. This fight was supposed to happen in March. Kirk suffered a fractured back, which is just like, how are you fighting in July if you fractured your back? I always thought that was like, all right, we're done now, but still. And so I just like, what are we going to get here? What are we going to get? He's been a good fighter, good size, reasonable size for the division. He's 5'10". He's got a 71-inch reach. Rebovich lost his debut to Loic Radzibov. He's another one of these contender series grads that was club and scrubs and got a contract. I don't know where he fits. I don't know what he brings to the table. I, I know what he brings to the table in terms of his, his skills and his talents, but I don't know where he fits. I don't know if this is like he's smashing dudes because he's that much better or he's smashing dudes because they're bums and he's just better than bums. I want to see this. I like Camuela Kirk. He is one of those guys. Speaking of fighters in the lower half of divisions and that show some utility and value and promise of, of being there and just being a good hand in that lower third, four fights like this, he can be that guy potentially. And I want to see if he can really show that and, and sort of accentuate that on Saturday in his lightweight debut. I'm glad to see him moving up. This is a thing I'd like to see more of, quite frankly. And I don't know if this is similar to Tatiana Suarez when she returned. I'm going to do a one-off, not cut and wait. Let's just get one in, make sure my body's right, see where we're at. We'll do the cut next time. Or if this is a, a permanent move, Whatever it is, happy to see him back. Want to see how this one goes. That's it. That's UFC 291 question for every fight. Back here tomorrow for 10 things. It's going to be fire. I'm so fired up for this card. It's going to be hard to get to just 10 things. I'm telling you now. The weekend, it's not going to be 10 things we learned. Extended edition, it's probably going to be 10 things, prelims and main card. We're going hard for this one. This is the best fight card of the year. I hope you are excited. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know in the notes. Let me know in the comments. Let me know on Twitter. Let me know on Instagram at Spencer Kite. Check out the boys at One Bone. Check out the QR code. Check out the Keyboard Kimura Substack. Love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. 
You guys are the best. It's UFC 290 fight week, baby. Let's go.